Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Blackware Intelligence Podcast. This week, we have a very special guest, Eden Yago from Sovereign. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm stoked to do this. Um, so let's just first start with like, what have you been up to lately, man? <laughs> well, you know, the same thing I do every day, Pinky, try to uh, reach hyper-Bitcoinization. For the last year, I've been um, involved very heavily in a project called Sovereign which is an extension of the Bitcoin protocol that is starting to gain a lot of interest and traction, basically brings um, smart contracts, uh, privacy and decentralized financial tools like trading, lending, margin trading um, to Bitcoin. Sure. So let's first start before we get into Sovereign. Let's just talk through briefly, if if you'd like to, just about your background um, and kind of what, what led you to Bitcoin. So um, it's a matter of public record, I suppose, at this point, uh, that uh, when I was a kid, um, my family were very politically involved in apartheid South Africa. They were opposed to the apartheid government. The government declared them terrorists. And so they had to flee in the middle of the night out of the country. And then um, my mother used me as a, as a gold smuggler, as a mule. Um, uh, she would uh, sew Krugerrands into my clothing and send me across the border to get money uh, to the family. Wow. And um, then many years later, I went and started studying uh, neuroscience and uh, neural networks. And I started working in biotech and machine learning. And I was doing a lot of reading in uh, network science papers. And so in 2011, while I was running a startup, uh, I came across this paper written by this dude called Satoshi. And by the time I had finished reading the paper, I had spilled coffee all over my keyboard. And with my sticky fingers, I was sending emails to everyone I knew saying like, this is the biggest thing I've ever read. Um, We're all going to be like, this is going to change the world. Um, And like, you should all get into this. And then everyone very, very quickly ignored me. (laughs) Um, But I've been been into Bitcoin in one way or another ever since. And... um, for me, what it represents is, um, first of all, uh, a sovereign money, uh, the ability to you know, move funds for anyone um, without an intermediary. And so you know, with my family experience, that really resonated with me. But beyond that, it's two more things. One is it's property rights for the internet. The internet has been a place without property rights or since forever, right? And as a result, uh, weirdly, we haven't really seen, you know, despite the advances in technology, we haven't really seen advances in society and we haven't seen advances in the economy because of the internet, because we've had this amazing technology, but it's been tied to, you know, the, the, the property right system of, of the Iron Age, of the pharaohs, like, you know, the, the CEOs of a few companies control all of the property rights. And then the third thing, is it's um, a way to bring those property rights, not just to the internet, but to anyone in the world. And there's nothing which creates prosperity than connecting people to a global economy and giving them um, uh, reliable property rights. And that is something that we can now do across borders and without violence. And so Bitcoin is just, you know, it's a very, very small idea in a way with huge implications. 
Absolutely. And, and you kind of touched on this briefly, but just kind of describe for us why is sovereignty important to you and, and what are kind of the implications on, uh, I know you kind of just touched on the global economy, but just society as a whole, when we, when we kind of, you know, implement, implement sovereignty in kind of that broader aspect. I think in every single way, when you think of human suffering or any suffering, suffering comes from helplessness, from desperation. Um, from powerlessness, right? Um, and that doesn't matter if it's you're getting old and you're losing, you know, you're becoming helpless with your body or you get poor and you become helpless financially or you're living in an autocratic regime and you have your rights taken away. All forms of suffering are a form of helplessness. And so what is the opposite of helplessness? It's sovereignty. And so empowering people to be the kind of person that they want to be, to be able to express the values that they want to express, to lead the lives that they want to lead, to um, you know, control their finances so they can take control of their destinies and help their families do the same thing. That is, to my mind, at the core of what it means to be a human being at the core of what it means to be the kind of person you want to be. And I would go a step further than that. Um, all rights, you know, we, we tend to think, you know, people should have rights. But what is a right? What is a freedom? These are all reflections of property rights, right? The fact that somebody can't tell, you know, can't attack you or can't tell you what to do with your body, that's a property right, the property of your body. The fact that in your house you get to set the rules, that's the property right of your house. The fact that you're allowed to travel where you want, that's the property right, you know, of, of, of again, of, of your physicality. And then your ability to uh, control your thoughts, your minds, that's freedom of speech. So all of the rights that we have are effectively reflections of property rights, um, are reflections of sovereignty. And so if we believe in rights, and if we believe in human prosperity, then we have to strive for all people to have maximum uh, uh, access to sovereignty. That, that's amazing. So going from that, transitioning from, you know, you kind of got introduced to Bitcoin. What led you to founding Sovereign? You know, what, what did you look at and say, hey, there's a problem or, or a need for, for, you know, this kind of, um, you know, protocol or, or, or service? Um, I'm sorry. Um, you know, what, what, what kind of led you to, uh, you know, deciding to found Sovereign or, or help contribute to it? Right. So I started contributing to Sovereign because it answered uh, something which I had been looking for for a very long time. From pretty much the first, my first encounters with Bitcoin, I was like, this is amazing. But the reason it's amazing is because it's something that it's like the only thing you can truly own, right? It, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to rely on a government, you don't have to rely on a gun, you don't have to rely on a thug. This is just something that you can control. And it's something that you can act and transact with others without having any intermediary. But then when you start to want to use Bitcoin, you want to buy it, you want to sell it, you want to lend it, you want to borrow it, you want to, uh, you know, collateralize with it, anything you want to do with it. Suddenly you're reintroducing all of these intermediaries, these central parties. And then what as a result happens is that unless you're just hodling Bitcoin, you end up losing the very properties of Bitcoin that made it special, important, 
attractive in the first place. And so I think from the very earliest days of uh, Bitcoin, people have always wanted to build decentralized tools for trading, for finance, for lending, for borrowing. And what's been holding us back has been the technology. In fact, something that a lot of people don't know, um, it, in the very, very first version of Bitcoin uh, client that was written by Satoshi, there was a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace, right? So Satoshi was thinking from the very, very beginning um, that the way that we build an economy around Bitcoin is we build tools which allow you to use Bitcoin in decentralized ways. And then when um, a bunch of devs who I'd known uh, came to me and, and, and introduced me to Sovereign, which at the time was something that they were sort of prototyping out, a decentralized uh, smart contract-based way of trading, which basically takes the tools that you have on Ethereum and introduces them into Bitcoin. I was like, this is it. This is my, the word that went through my mind is finally. And I knew that I was going to be dedicated to this because I had the same kind of rush, the same kind of like, this is the, this is the next step that I had when I first encountered Bitcoin. So what, what led you to, um, you know, a, a putting DeFi on Bitcoin versus some other, some other protocol. I mean, we've talked about why Bitcoin's important, but you know, what are the advantages that you see in, in terms of having DeFi built on top of Bitcoin versus Ethereum or, you know, Solana or any of these other chains? Yeah. So it's interesting. We, we're going into this multi-chain world, right? More and more and more. And I think most people are drawing the wrong conclusion. For that. Like, I think I saw a video interview that you did with Rao Paul um, a few days ago, I think it was. And, you know, he talks about how you're going to have a different chain, which is going to have, uh, you know, be used for different things. And like each, each different use case will have a chain and then these chains will have network effects, right? And to me, that sounds almost exactly backwards. So in the early days of the internet, you had like CompuServe and America Online and Prodigy, and they each created their own network. And you could send emails easily between uh, AOL uh, users, but it was very difficult to send to CompuServe users. And um, they had, you know, AIM, uh, uh, you know, it was uh, uh, America Online Instant Messenger, and they had their own websites and their own browsers, and each one was like its own little world, kind of like its own little blockchain. And you were using uh, Prodigy or Ethereum, you were using uh, Solana or America Online, right? And you knew as the user which one you were using. You were a customer of one. But the whole point of the internet was that it brought interoperability. And then Netscape Navigator came out and a bunch of uh, browsers came out and they made it really easy to go to any website. It made it totally irrelevant which system you were using in the back. We're seeing exactly the same thing happen now. We're seeing, um, you know, uh, every single DAP is now on all of these different chains. Wallets are starting to be in, uh, uh, interact with every chain. We're starting to see relay mechanisms, which allow you to basically be transacting uh, in a way where you write a transaction on one chain, but it actually gets executed on another chain. And in two years or three years, users aren't going to know anymore what chain they're using at all. And they're not going to care about the chain. What are they going to care about? They're going to care about security. 
They're going to care about the assets that they can get access to, right? And so security and assets have network effects. Chains are commodity technology. So what are the, so, so when you look at these network effects, right? Asset and security, where do you find that? Bitcoin proof of work is by far the most secure system. Bitcoin, the asset, is by far the most trusted and reliable asset in the crypto space, right? So uh, we don't know how valuable, how many projects are going to use Solana or Ethereum or whatever in the future. They're competing um, as technology platforms. The one, you know, the first chain which came out is also weirdly the one that no one's tried to copy. It's the one which is focused purely on providing security and a, and a set of rules for a very reliable asset. And if you want to build the future of the economy, if you want to build the future of finance, if you want to build the future of secure smart contract systems, ultimately what I believe is that you're going to end up building on Bitcoin. And really the only thing standing between that happening, uh, you know, and now is having the set of tools that allow you to build out layers around Bitcoin, not change Bitcoin itself, but connect uh, 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 any technology that you want to Bitcoin. So for example, the way Sovereign works, right? We use, uh, we, we, we use a, a system called Rootstock and Rootstock is a side chain for Bitcoin that provides Ethereum type smart contracts. Right, and you can then add on to that uh, zero knowledge rollups, and you can have like privacy, and you can have DeFi, and you can have instance, um, you can have infinite scalability, and you can add that to Lightning Network, right? And so you start to get a whole stack of technologies that are built around Bitcoin, but don't change Bitcoin's uh, reliability and its core. So looking out into the future, when you know users don't know which chain they're using, this whole tribalism thing is for the most part gonna go away. But what will people be attached to? They'll still be attached to the idea of sovereignty. They'll still look for the um, systems and assets which give them the highest degree of reliable sovereignty. And I think that's going to be Bitcoin uh, for you know, the rest of our lives. Can we just talk about the mechanics of Sovereign and kind of how it actually works in terms of, I mean, going even as basic as just what is a sidechain? Yeah, so um, there are many different definitions of a sidechain, but at a base level, sidechain is an idea that was originally conceived by Satoshi uh, in 2010 or I don't know if he conceived it, but he was certainly debating it in 2010. And what the idea was, was that you could have, um, you've got like Bitcoin main chain, but you could also have a different blockchain, which maybe had different rules or was used for a different purpose, but it shared the security of Bitcoin. And how does it do that? It's through a process of merge mining. When the Bitcoin miners are mining main chain, they would also be mining the sidechain. So the sidechain would basically be piggybacking off the security of Bitcoin. Now, um, to give a specific example with Rootstock, which is one sidechain technology, um, and I would say there are basically two big sidechain technologies today. One is Rootstock and the other is Liquid, which has been developed by Blockstream. So 
the way rootstock works is um, you have the separate chain. It has rules which are similar to Ethereum's rules, except that there is no ETH on the system unless you bring it over from Ethereum, right? The base asset is Bitcoin. And the security is Bitcoin proof of work. And the way you move into that environment is you peg your Bitcoin, you freeze your Bitcoin uh, on Bitcoin main chain. And then a uh, token is created representing that Bitcoin and basically moving your Bitcoin to the sidechain. So you can move back and forth between the two worlds. Got it. And so when we, when we kind of think through this, what are the advantages and disadvantages of using, you know, some kind of sidechain on Bitcoin versus just building another, you know, protocol on top of Ethereum? So the, I think you're trying to accomplish two very different things, right? When you're doing that. Um, first of all, when you say build another protocol on top of Ethereum, do you mean like a DAP or do you mean like a different chain? Like for example, um, uh, Polygon, for example, claim that they're like a side chain of Ethereum, right? Sure. And in a way they kind of are. Um, so why build on Bitcoin rather than build on Ethereum? I think is the question that you're asking. Yes, I mean, essentially, yeah. Okay. Um, so the, the, the biggest asset in the space is Bitcoin, right? Today, there's no real way that you can do DeFi. You can do decentralized transactions, trades, lending, borrowing with Bitcoin um, using regular like Ethereum DeFi. And the reason is that um, when you go on, when you, when you want to use these systems on Ethereum, First of all, you're going through a centralized intermediary. So for example, the majority of Bitcoin on Ethereum is wrapped Bitcoin, which is basically held in custody by uh, BitGo, right? So that part's not decentralized. The second thing is your security assurances are not tied to Bitcoin anymore. They're tied to Ethereum. And three, uh, your, um, you also need to have Ethereum. You, you need Ethereum in order to pay fees, right? Instead of Bitcoin, right? So in, in various ways, you're introducing reduced security and additional friction. And on top of all of that, the fees on Ethereum are very, very high, right? It's extremely expensive to operate uh, on Ethereum, to get onto Ethereum, off on Ethereum, and certainly to do anything on Ethereum. When you're using, uh, um, when you're building Bitcoin native technology, all of those issues are reduced or eliminated. And also Sovereign, because it's being built by Bitcoiners, has a very, very deep focus on integrating tightly with all of the different aspects of Bitcoin layer two, right? So there's integrations with Lightning Network, allowing for instant transactions and instant um, interaction with right now swaps, but over time, there'll be more and more types of smart contracts that interact. The ability to have Bitcoin backed stable coins, which you can't really have all of the stable coins on Ethereum or in one way or another, centralized or algorithmic. The Bitcoin-backed stablecoins that exist, exist in Rootstock and give you a much more reliable, much and probably the only truly decentralized stablecoin. You can then take that stablecoin and start transacting with it on Lightning Network is one of the projects that people are working on. You can get um, uh, loans. Uh, you can take out a loan against your Bitcoin at 0% interest, right? So that's a new thing that's going to be coming to Sovereign over the next few weeks. 
So there's just a general focus on keeping the same level of security of Bitcoin, making it really, really easy to use Bitcoin, but also introducing the best possible tools for Bitcoin. And that's because it's being built by people who are focused on trying to create the absolute best extension for Bitcoin. Sure, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, can we just talk about like some of the privacy advantages or disadvantages of, you know, using Bitcoin, uh, you know, just in the sense of one thing you mentioned earlier was just kind of talking about like on-chain analysis and how maybe we'll be able to view different economic activity that's going on on top of, you know, through Sovereign. So, you know, kind of kind of walk us through what, what's being done in terms of the privacy standpoint, as you know, the whole, a, a lot of, a lot of Bitcoiners, you know, are very aligned with everything needs to be super private and, and all that all that kind of thing so right so right now um when you're using sovereign it's got significant privacy advantages over using a centralized exchange right because it's all pseudonymous there's no kyc it's permissionless and censorship resistant um so you don't have to worry about the counterparty risk of using an exchange and then for people like you the exciting thing is that it's now possible to analyze the actual trade activity on chain because it's happening on chain instead of uh, inside the closed uh, opaque world of a centralized exchange, right? So for example, one of the things that you, you do, and I think you know, you've really uh, ex excelled at is looking at um, flows on chain and trying to assess what that means for where the Bitcoin economy is. But the, to the extent that you're able to look at what ha was happening with exchanges, you, you, you know, it sort of becomes a black box. You, see, you can see how much is going on. You can see how much is coming off. When you start looking at Sovereign, that black box uh, actually becomes transparent. And that's the case now. That's not going to last forever in exactly the way it is now, because one of the things that is being introduced are various um, ways of using uh, zero-knowledge proofs to introduce uh, true assurances of privacy that go even beyond pseudonymous activity. Uh, and so uh, what I expect we'll see over the course of the coming year is that Sovereign will become one of the best ways to keep your Bitcoin private as well, because there's a large number of people who are transacting, there are thousands of Bitcoins in constant activity. And when you introduce that as a, as a, an, a non anonymity set, right, you, you get this sort of like very big, very active anonymity set for free and people, um, can basically uh, uh, protect their privacy in that way. Um, I think there will always be a lot of activity that you'll be able to an analyze, but it may become more complicated over time as more privacy is introduced. Yeah, that's very interesting. Like, you know, the, the one point you touched on, which is spot on, that's, you know, what I'm doing, you know, personally, just the type of analysis I do, it's like, you know, once coins go on to exchanges, I have no idea what's going on right now. We need to look at you know, what's going on with, you know, funding rates, or, you know, we look at like CVD, or we can look at volume or order books. I mean, we can kind of gauge things with the information, you can make an argument that some of that data that's being reported by people like Binance is not, you know, perfectly accurate. So, you know, for, yeah. for just a personal standpoint, uh, you know, that would be very advantageous for the type of analysis I do. Um, yeah, so let, let's move on to uh, Taproot. So this is, you know, been a hot topic over the last month or so, I think a lot of people forgot about Taproot you know, in the depths of the, you know, whatever mini, you know, summer correction. Uh, and then, you know, people start talking about it again over the last month uh, around the launch. So just kind of walk us through what does this mean for Bitcoin, as well as what does this mean for Sovereign? Sure. So Taproot is 
the introduction of a set of technologies that allow for more um, for for sophisticated types of uh, cryptography to be used when signing transactions. And at the base of this uh, is the ability to aggregate signatures in a way which isn't um, apparent to outside observers. And so there are three big things that you get out of this. One is scalability. So by aggregating signatures, you can aggregate transactions and, and effectively scale up the amount of throughput you can get with a certain set of transactions. Second thing that you get out of it is uh, opportunity for increased privacy. So for example, as if we uh, introduce Taproot into the peg, when you're pegging in and out of uh, Sovereign, that actually that act in and of itself can can introduce privacy into your transaction. And the third thing is the ability to create more sophisticated uh, multi-signature schemes, right? So pegging right now utilizes quite sophisticated uh, and complicated uh, um, uh, multi-signature schemes, which are designed to be as uh, trustless or trust minimized as possible. But there's, you know. Quite a lot that we can do to eat, to to reduce the, the, the level of trust and, and to trust minimize further. And one of the ways that you can do that with Taproot is you can massively increase the potential set of signers that are required, and also the rules under which circumstances they are able to sign. And so there is work that is starting to um, introduce these improvements to the pig basically uh, 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 introducing you know, uh, even greater degrees of trust minimization to that peg when you're moving your Bitcoin from one side chain to the main chain or one side chain to another. Got it. And my next question is just, what is holding back Sovereign from you know, seeing mass growth? When we kind of look at, um, I personally just, I'm not entirely familiar with it. I mean, this is my first time really getting an understanding. So I'm learning throughout the conversation. But, um, you know, when I when I look at different DeFi stats, I personally just haven't seen, you know, Sovereign in comparison to you know, some of these other like, uh, you know, DeFi related on like Ethereum or whatever. You know, what what is holding back Sovereign from getting to that, you know, next kind of stage of growth? Um, you know, I know we kind of talked briefly about how, you know, you're, you're kind of in the early stages of launching, but kind of walk us through that timeline in terms of what you kind of expect for the growth of Sovereign, as well as just what what's kind of holding it back from reaching that stage and what are the things that will kind of allow it to see that growth? Sure. So uh, Sovereign is still considered uh, in alpha. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that, one of which is that uh, it's quite easy to peg in, but the fast peg out hasn't been implemented yet, and we expect that to be implemented over the coming weeks. There's additional security audits that are be, that are being completed. Um, and so there's just a few things where, you know, uh, like Bitcoiners, we're very conservative. Um, where is Sovereign right now? There's several hundred million dollars in Sovereign. There's tens of thousands of users. Um, and there's been over a billion dollars in trades. So, the, and the project is, you know, really came out in April. That's very, very fast growth for a totally new ecosystem. All of the projects that you're mentioning sort of have um, emerged on existing ecosystems. And there's, you know, a lot of money flushing around those ecosystems. But new ecosystems grow uh, slower. Um, so, for example, where we are now between 150 million and 200 million uh, dollars 
in the system, sort of assets under management or what people call TVL, is roughly where like a chain like Avalanche was before they sort of announced that they were going to be making a big campaign and push. Uh, and then they quickly went to uh, several billion in assets. Uh, I think we're getting close to the point where Sovereign is going to be able to do the same thing. And, and we're sort of in the same place that Avalanche was just before they made that push. Um, so I expect, you know, very likely next quarter, actually, or, or certainly first half of next year, we'll, we'll see that kind of uh, uh, big push happen. The, um, the, the challenge that Sovereign has is it's building out a whole ecosystem, but it's got the huge advantage that the liquidity, the asset base that it's doing this with is the biggest in the world, it's Bitcoin. And so potentially it has, you know, the ability to accelerate faster and, and larger than any of these other projects. And indeed, given how quickly it's accelerated just since April, um, we may, uh, you know, I mean, we, we didn't know how quickly it would grow, but I think we've been pretty impressed that, that it has managed to grow so quickly. And I think it validates the, the theory that by um, unleashing Bitcoin, you're also unleashing, you know, you're unleashing the King Kong of the space. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that growth is pretty remarkable. And when you talk about, you're, you're talking briefly about how, you know, Avalanche went on a pretty heavy marketing campaign. What how, What is kind of your approach to that? Because from my understanding, right, no one has control over it um so you know what where exactly do the funds come from for example for the marketing campaign is it just natural growth from the community uh just kind of like walk us through how that process kind of shapes place sure so part of building a economy right the entire economy around bitcoin means that we want to have all kinds of different assets built on bitcoin and tokenization um has always been sort of part of the plan around how we build an economy around Bitcoin. It was only really um, in recent years that um, a part of the Bitcoin community started becoming against any form of tokenization. I think there was a reaction to um, all of the shit coins that were out there, right? But um, the, the idea of tokenization, you know, like the first NFTs were generated on Bitcoin, um, the first uh, merged mine tokens like like uh, uh, um, uh, decentralized internet was developed. Um, this was always sort of something which which had been pioneered pioneered by Bitcoin. So one of the uh, one of the things that we need to do is is first of all create new types of assets like NFTs, but also modify existing assets. And today you have corporations. Right. And corporations are basically controlled, you know, under a set of rules in a particular country. They're centralized organizations. But the reason they exist in the first place is to allow large numbers of people to come together and uh, work towards a common goal, both investing capital and seeing a return. Sovereign has been constructed to be that kind of decentralized business. And so Sovereign has a token called SOV which was issued by the community and the community have uh, you know set up a bunch of rules about when SOV could be sold and to whom and 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 and, and what rights it gives you um, and it gives you rights to the revenue that the system generates and so um, the, uh, the 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 sovereign stakers the stakeholders in in sovereign 
right? Um, periodically uh, can take of the of the uh, of the SOV that has been allocated to the treasury of the protocol, which is basically funds controlled by the protocol, and choose to sell them uh, in order to raise funds for a marketing campaign for for, for ongoing development. And so, when um, Pump, for example, put together a, a sovereign improvement proposal um, just before the the system went live. Uh, you know, and brought together a bunch of miners and exchanges and other strategic partners, they basically came to the community and said, listen, guys, we would like to provide you with capital. And, um, and in return, we would like to receive SOB tokens and the community voted on it, they received the capital, and they became, you know, stakeholders in sovereign and that kind of thing can happen in the future as well. Got it. So Maybe my, my thought process is incorrect here, but so will eventually the, the SOV token be trading on like a Coinbase or any kind of normalized exchange in that sense? Yeah, so for a long time, SOV traded only on Sovereign. Um, but now it trades on a number of other exchanges. Um, so like Gate and KuCoin and, um, and uh, Ascendix and a few others. Um, and I expect we'll start to see all of the exchanges added because it's got pretty significant volumes it's got a growing community uh it's got um uh you know a lot of interest and and and, uh, and so yeah i i believe we'll see it basically on all of the exchanges eventually it's not really you know my 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 dream to have uh, anything trading on decentralized exchanges my my dream more is to have everyone move over to decentralized systems and i think over time in one way or another, one way or another, that will happen. I think it's better for everyone to have control over their funds, right? Remember, not your keys, not your control. But uh, but for now, it is a gateway to awareness, and and that is something that is happening. Of course, this is in this has been fascinating. I mean, uh, this is like a whole another mental rabbit hole that I'm going to have to go down. You know, after after we get off here in a little bit. But uh, I I just want to kind of give you the opportunity just to help plug in how people can get involved. You know, I'm really interested in, I just personally want to know how can I get involved, right? You know, everyone listening is probably really excited and they just want to figure out how to hop in and, and kind of make a difference or contribute to this. Sure. So, I mean, you, for example, have a particular set of skills that make you very dangerous too. <laughs> you know, I think you should, uh, you, you know, if you can turn your analysis uh, chops to what's going on in Sovereign and, and help, uh, people understand and sort of illuminate there. You may find it interesting, and I'm sure other people would as well. I think one easy thing that anyone can do is just go to um, sovereign.app or to the application itself, so live.sovereign. Sovereign is spelled S-O-V-R-Y-N.app, and try it out. Um, um, there's a bunch of subsidies that the community have chosen to give out right now to, to people who are trying it out. So you can, like, just by trying it out, you can make money. And there's more and more tools uh, coming. And uh, it's a bit like getting, you know, I, I think this is going to be a very big part of the future of Bitcoin. And I hope so, because that would mean more decentralization of Bitcoin. I, I think of decentralizing Bitcoin in layers, right? It's like, a, you know, you've got the miners and you've got the nodes, you've got the users, you've got the services. And we want to decentralize the services around Bitcoin as well. And um, and I think this is the way. So uh, just to, I think the first thing is just familiarize yourself with it. And then if it seems like something which is working for you and which is cool for you, uh, you know, 
dip your toe in, don't put too much money in, not more than you can afford to play with initially. Um, and then if it, it does it for you, and I hope it does, just tell everyone in the world about it because everyone should know. Give everyone the gift of sovereignty. Awesome. And, and last question, you know, I have, I, I ask this, you know, everyone who comes on the show, I always get different answers. So when we think about hyper-Bitcoinization, right? Bitcoiners love this term. When we think about this, what are some of the milestones that you see as most important to kind of accelerating this process? Like, like I think of like a video game, you know, you go through like one of those rings that kind of gives you that like acceleration boost. What, what are, what are some of those certain kind of key milestones that, that accelerate that in your mind? Um, you know, for me, the two examples I always give are a El Salvador, which I think is pretty, a pretty consensus one. And then the second one is just the politicalization of Bitcoin. So once we start to see, you know, politicians incentivized to take friendly Bitcoin stances, but I'm, I'm curious what you have to say. Yeah. So I, uh, I agree with the things that you say. Well, certainly the El Salvador one, the other one I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about, but, um, but, uh, I would say Bitcoin backs stablecoins because Bitcoin is going to continue to be volatile um, for a long time because it's going to grow very, very fast. Uh, Bitcoin backs stablecoins are going to be the way that initially Bitcoin brings back the gold standard. And it's going to be the way that Bitcoin can become a medium of exchange and a unit of account. Um, because that Bitcoin backed stablecoins are a way to remove the volatility for Bitcoin, but still be backed by Bitcoin. So that's a very big one. The second thing is, um, I think over the coming years, we're going to see a huge increase in the amount of economic activity that is occurring in totally virtual and online worlds. You could call it the metaverse, you can call it gaming, you can call it social media, you can call it whatever. I think it's extremely important that Bitcoin... Uh, play a central role there um, because it's going to be Bitcoin is a digital native asset and so it needs to first and foremost become the hyper you, it needs to hyper Bitcoinize the digital world before um, uh, uh, hyper Bitcoinizes the rest of the world right and then the third thing is if you start seeing people in El Salvador um starting to save in Bitcoin or to save in Bitcoin back stable coins, right? Uh, if you start seeing people in other places in the world doing those things, those are, I think, the leading indicators for true, true hyper-Bitcoinization. Those are amazing answers. I do want to ask you though, um, and I'm just genuinely curious um, about the, the, the political thing. Like what, what do you see is that, uh, what, what do you see that as a, as a challenge to, to Bitcoin or, or an issue? So Bitcoin is a very special thing, right? It's trying to be money. And money is, um, is a universal, right? So one of the genius things about Bitcoin, by design, at the very core of its design, is that it's designed to be used by adversaries, by people who do not agree. And, um, and that's because it's trying to be money. And money is the thing that you use when you're transacting with strangers or with people that you don't trust or with people that you don't know. That's what money's for. Otherwise, you would just like, you know, uh, do, you know, favors. Um, the problem that I think we've seen with Bitcoin is that 
and this has actually mostly come out of the Bitcoin community, is that purity tests have started to be introduced around who can use Bitcoin, who can say they're a Bitcoin, or what is Bitcoin, etc. And I think that purity tests are the exact opposite of this idea that Bitcoin is designed to be used by adversaries, designed to be used by the people you disagree with, right? So, so in the same vein, if we start to see um, Bitcoin break down across political lines, right? So Democrats hate Bitcoin and Republicans love Bitcoin or vice versa, then I think that also uh, removes the neutrality that I would like to see Bitcoin have. And so I think it's important that, uh, you know, if we start seeing that Bitcoin is becoming too right wing, because maybe, you know, we're, we're all libertarians, that we, 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 we start making arguments for why Bitcoin is actually green and uh, a tool for social justice. Even if we don't believe it, we have to <laughs> put the language out there because I think that, that, um, that the, the credible neutrality of Bitcoin is one of its most important assets. Sure, that, that, that's a really, really interesting answer. I gotta, I gotta do some thinking on that. I, I have one last question for you. What do you think are the biggest things that kind of hold Bitcoin back or, or the biggest risks to Bitcoin moving forward? Uh, the only one I always say is just that, to be quite honest, I'm not fully familiar with the cryptography. So if there was some issue with the cryptography that just went over my head and I didn't understand, uh, I'm curious what your answer is. I'm sure it's better than mine. <laughs> well, it's not better, but it's different. Uh, it depends what you consider a risk. Right. I would like to see hyper-Bitcoinization. I would like to see a world built on Bitcoin because I think Bitcoin provides sovereignty through this credible neutrality. It's rules without rulers, right? Um, my concern is that um, Bitcoin right now is difficult, and this is a big part of why I'm working on Sovereign, is very difficult to use with, um, to use trustlessly with other uh, systems, right? So Bitcoin is doesn't know what's going on in the outside world, and interacting with Bitcoin is very, very difficult. Um, so let's say you're building a game, right? And you want to have NFTs in the game, and you want to have an in-game currency in the game, which is becoming a more and more popular thing. It's easier for you to do that with Solana or with Ethereum than it is for you to do with Bitcoin right now, right? Without sovereign. And um, and that's a real problem, I think, for Bitcoin. And the reason it's a Bitcoin, it's a problem for Bitcoin is because we are, I think, over the next few years, going to see huge number of games, starting with less popular games and then eventually going into triple A's, introducing these uh, uh, open economies, because open economies just drive way more money, way more traction. And that's going to mean that you're going to get hundreds of millions of people all of the gamers in the world are going to have uh, wallets. They're going to get used to using these currencies and these assets and day-to-day -day transactions in the gaming world. So they'll get trained up on it. They'll become very familiar and they'll even start using them when they go shopping through their Apple Pay, right? If Bitcoin isn't at the center of that, then Bitcoin becomes digital gold and it starts to have the same role that gold has in our physical world. So physical gold plays a hedge roll, and it's a relatively unimportant asset, right? It's a $10 trillion, $11 trillion asset. Not small, huge, like another 10x from here, but not my dream for what I want Bitcoin to be. 
Um, so I think it's very important that tools like Sovereign be built out and that Bitcoiners reintroduce this idea of, of, of aggressive innovation that we've always had and make sure that Bitcoin remains at the center of the digital economy, the metaverse economy, and ultimately the global economy. Sure. Yago, I just want to give you an opportunity just to, you know, plug yourself in, plug in Sovereign and all that kind of good stuff. I just want to say thank you. I mean, I learned a lot during this conversation. I got a lot to, to think about. It's definitely going to go back and, and re-listen to this one. But yeah, I just wanted to kind of give you the floor to, to plug all your, uh, you know, information in as well as for Sovereign. Sure. Awesome. So I'm Idan Iago. And on Twitter, you can find me uh, under the handle Iago, um, like at E-D-A-N-Y-A-G-O. Sovereign on Twitter is Sovereign Bitcoin or Sovereign BTC. So at S-O-V-R-Y-N-B-T-C. And um, you can check out uh, Sovereign by going to live.sovereign.app. And, uh, and there are other places to check it out as well. But that's, I think, you know, that's the website I maintain. So I'm going to show it. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for the time. And, and you know, I'm sure everyone got a lot out of this just as I did. So appreciate your time, man. Take care. All right. Awesome. This is super cool. Thanks.